19-year-old Buell Frazier on November 22, 1963, drove his co-worker, Lee Harvey Oswald, to work at the Texas School Book Depository. After the assassination, he was in the middle of all the controversy. Was he an accomplice? Was he a witness? What did he see Lee Harvey Oswald carry into work that day? Here is Buell Frazier being interviewed in 2002. Buell Wesley Frazier worked with Lee Harvey Oswald at the Texas School Book Depository in Dallas at the time of President Kennedy's assassination. In this oral history recorded for the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza, Frazier recounts working with Oswald and Oswald's activities on the morning of November 22, 1963. For me at Texas School Book Depository, I talked with uh, Mr. Roy S. Truly, and uh, he turned me over to his um, assistant, which was uh, uh, Bill Shelley. Okay, and do you remember approximately when you started work at the depository? I started there in the, uh, I remember it was in the summer of uh, 1963. Can I jog your memory a little bit? Might have been in September? Could have been. Could have been. Uh, I'm not for sure. Uh, are you aware of what day I actually started there? I remember September when I, because I read your Warren Commission testimony this morning and I think you mentioned September and I want to say it was around the 13th or the 15th of September. Uh, what's important though is you were living with your with your sister and her family and this was probably what a temporary arrangement or what? Uh, yes it was a temporary arrangement. I was going to live there with them until I uh, found employment and I could move out on my own. Okay. Um, and working in the depository, what was your job title and what kind of work did you do there? Okay, uh, being employed by the Texas School Book Depository, I was employed uh, as an order filler. And what I did there, I uh, filled uh, orders from different publishers. And by the way, uh, if you're not familiar with Texas School Book Depository, uh, we had several different stories that we uh, stored our textbooks on. Uh, different publishers, uh, say for instance, like um, Greg uh, was located on uh, the fifth floor, and uh, then Scott Foreman was located on the sixth floor, and I could go from any floor from the basement up to the uh, uh, top and uh, pull uh, the orders as needed. Uh, now the uh, Depository uh, book building at that time, there was some floors that was uh, strictly uh, uh, for administration and uh, uh, clerical type work. And that started like on the second floor. Uh, second and third and fourth floor, I believe, had offices on it at that time. So when you and your coworkers got your orders for the day, you knew basically by the name of the publisher which floor to find those books on? Yes, that is correct. At some point after you got hired, you must have uh, apparently became aware that there might still be some openings, um, uh, and you must have mentioned that to your sister? Is, well, uh, uh, because, because she supposedly mentioned it to Ruth Payne, a friend of hers. Is that how you remember it? 
Well, uh, the way I remember it was that uh, I was working uh, quite a bit of overtime. Nearly every day we was working overtime. There would be some days that uh, Miss Shelley would give us a break. Um, but um, my sister noticed that I was working a lot of uh, overtime. And by the way, my sister's name was uh, Miss Lenny Randall. She asked me, she said, are, are they doing any hiring? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll have to ask uh, Mr. Shelley and see what he says. And so I asked Mr. Shelley, I said, are we doing any hiring? And he says, yes. He said, we're taking applications. Uh, so my sister used to meet with Ruth Payne and some of the women in the uh, right there in the immediate neighborhood. And they would get together sometimes in the morning and they would have coffee. Um, some type of uh, 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 coffee cake or whatever uh, they had and they would sit around and visit and uh, drink coffee or tea and uh, and that's where my sister told Miss Payne that yes they were taking applications and she and, and in return Miss Payne told uh, there was a lady living with her at that time named Marina and her husband was um, uh, Lee Oswald, his Marina Oswald. And so she told uh, Marina Oswald, and she in turn told uh, Lee that uh, he might go by there and fill out an application if he was still looking for work. So do you think that your sister asked you about employment as a result of talking to Marina? Or is it something that she just knew from talking with you and then she told Marina? Well, the way I, I recalled, uh, my sister uh, asked me, were they still doing any hiring? And in these meetings or, or gatherings that sometimes the women would do in that neighborhood, I guess something must have came up about uh, Marina's husband looking for work. And that's where my sister asked me, and then I checked with Mr. Shelley, and, and he said, yes, they were, and and the information got back to uh, Marina and uh, Lee through Miss Payne and uh, Lee came by and filled out our application. So w when was the first time then that you actually heard of Lee Harvey Oswald? Not, not that you had seen him but, but had heard of him. Uh, right before he um, he started to work there uh, my sister told me that uh, Marina's husband I was looking for work, but at that time I couldn't tell you what his name was because I never had met the man. So when did when did his name when did you first learn his name, uh, and and that he was in fact going to be working at the depository, uh, or did you? Well, the first uh, day I met uh, Lee Oswald was the day that he started to work at Texas School Book Depository. So before that time you had not even heard his name? No. I, I did not know his name or, or never had uh, the opportunity to meet him. So how'd the meeting take place and what did you think? Well, the my first meeting with Lee Oswald was that, that he had reported to the Texas School Book Depository for work and Mr. Truly uh, summoned Mr. Shelley and told him, introduced him to Lee and told him he was there and put him to work. And uh, after uh, talking with him a short time, Mr. Shelley uh, uh, asked that I come to his office. 
and I, I did so and when I uh, reported to his office he introduced me to Lee Oswald and at that time he um, told me that um, he would like for me to teach him how to uh, fill orders and I did that. What was your first impression of him? My first impression of uh, Lee, he was uh, he he appeared to, and I later found out that he was he was a very quiet type person. He he wasn't someone that talked excessively, uh, and most of our conversations, matter of fact, all of our conversations, Wyatt, um, while working, was strictly business. Uh, he'd ask me a question: uh, How did I know the difference between or what? Um, what actual textbook was they were they referring to? And I would show him the difference between one text and another. And I said, when you see this, this is the this is a copy that they're asking for right here. And uh, he learned he learned very quickly. Uh, seemed to be quite intelligent. And uh, it was a pleasure working with him because uh, he he never. Uh, he never just asked you a question, asked you a question. It was always um, he was trying to find or understand after reading the invoice that he had in his hand, uh, if he was, had any questions, he'd just come find me. Did he talk about other things or any other things, sports or politics or anything with you? Um, we never talked politics. Um, the two things that I could get a response out of Lee, and this especially when uh, we were uh, riding back and forth to Irving, it was two things that I could get a comment out of him. Uh, was uh, one about his his child. Uh, at that time, he had a uh, small daughter, and his uh, wife Marina was uh, pregnant with their second child. Uh, he wasn't a big talker. Um, uh, you would get a, uh, a chuckle out of him when you asked something about the children. Uh, I guess he would think of something that had happened. And, and he would say, I'll send out to two. And then the other thing was, um, uh, a lot of times we'd talk about the weather or something. If it looked like it was going to rain or something, I'd say, well, it looks like it, uh, we might get some rain today. And you'd get a few uh, words out of him there. He, um, he wasn't one to initiate a conversation, but he would answer you. And talking about children, uh, all the children in the neighborhood at that time that lived around there in that area, they, they all knew Lee because Lee played with the children a lot of times in the evening, late in the evening, in Miss uh, uh, Payne's front yard. I know my little nieces uh, knew him. They knew who he was on site when they saw him. He was the man that lived at Miss Payne's. And um, he played with several children in the neighborhood along with his own child. Did you meet Marina or the kids or Mrs. Payne at any time before the assassination? Uh, no. So in writing back and forth, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to in a minute, um, it was always Oswald coming over to your place. Uh, most of the time, yes, that's the way it is. Sometime I would, uh, when we would be coming from Dallas, I would drop him in front of his his house. But you never stayed. 
No, I never, I, I never went in. We never uh, visited. I never went in. We visited or sat down and have a, a soda or a cup of coffee. I never did that, or we never went together anywhere after work. Uh, sometimes I would let him out in front of his house because maybe I was, I had some errands to run. Maybe I, I was supposed to go by the, the store and pick up milk or bread or whatever my sister had asked me to bring that afternoon. How did the uh, riding back and forth come about? The way that uh, came about was that uh, after learning that um, that his wife lived with uh, Marina out in Irving, and I asked him, I said, well, well, how do you get back and forth? And, and he said, well, he says, I usually go out and see my wife on the weekend. And I said, well, how do you get out there? He says, well, he says, you know, bus, ride the bus or taxi, however I can get out there. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I go back and forth every day. Anytime you want to go over and see your wife, I said, all you have to do is tell me during the day. And I said, you can, uh, you can ride out to Irving with me, and then uh, if you spend the night, then you can ride back with me the next morning. And actually what uh, eventually occurred on that was that he would ride out to Irving with me on Friday afternoon. I would drop him off, and then I would not see him again until... Uh, Monday morning. And I know sometimes people might ask, well, did you ever go anywhere together? Or did you ever go to the movies or, or, or ball games? Or did you ever do anything together? Uh, we never did. Um, did he ever offer to buy your gas now and then? Uh, no, because I never asked him. Because he, he lived like less than a half a block. His wife lived with Miss Payne less than a half a block from where I lived. And I was going there, so uh, I, I just always um, said to myself, well, it takes that much gas for me to go to work. Why charge him? Now, some people would, but I'm not that type of person. If I'm going somewhere myself, why charge someone? And, and he never volunteered, though, either, did he? I think he may have I, I asked a couple of times and I told him it wasn't necessary. I think at first he, he did. Uh, since you asked me the question, I, th I think he did. And I told him, I said, well, that's not necessary. Your regular routine uh, started at 8 o'clock. Uh, and w when would you guys normally break for lunch? Noon or so? Or? I, think it, I think it was um, 12 to 12.30. Okay. Where did you have your lunch normally? I usually had my lunch there at the Texas School Book Depository because I usually carried my lunch. I, uh, a few times uh, I did go down to a little uh, diner that you could just go in and order and sit down. It was a little, which was now part of the West End. It was between the uh, School Book Depository and uh, the State Building. There was a little diner there. You could get sandwiches and so forth. And a few times I walked down there by myself and eat lunch there but most of the time I brought my lunch and I would uh, uh, some of the guys would eat their lunch out on the dock some would eat their lunch in the um, break room uh, playing dominoes or cards or there was usually something going on all the time because some uh, some of the guys uh, like to play dominoes and different card games 
break room was also known as the domino room, and that was on the first floor? Yes. What part of the building, north, south, east, west? Uh... Okay. Uh, the uh, break room was located over in the corner of the... Uh, it was the first floor. Like if you walk up from outside, walk on the dock and walk into the first floor, it was uh, in the corner and it was to the left of Mr. Shelley's office. It was between Mr. Shelley's office and uh, the uh, men's uh, restroom. Okay, so that would put it right by the, the northeast corner of the building. Yes. Okay. Okay, I understand. And and that's where most of, of you and your co-workers would, would eat your lunch. Would you guys go up to the second floor lunchroom at all? Um, I did go up and eat my lunch up there a couple of times. But the, but the lunchroom was small, and uh, we didn't have a lot of tables and chairs in there. And a lot of times the uh, women that worked in the different uh, publisher's office was in there. And... Uh, I didn't feel it was right to take a seat from someone that wanted to get away from their desk. And we had a lot of places to sit down to eat downstairs. Sometimes I, I used to eat up there on the first floor. Sometimes I eat down in the basement because that's where I kept my lunch. It was nice and cool down there. And sometimes it was quiet. If I, if I just wanted to have some quiet time, just eat my lunch and, and not talk to anybody while I'm eating my lunch. And just for a few minutes, just have... Uh, as I said, not to be repetitive, just quiet time to yourself. And, and sometimes I would uh, I'd take a book and I'd be looking at a book while I was eating, something I wanted to read in there. Um, I often look through the books. Uh, we had a lot of publishers uh, for uh, anything from kindergarten through um, college. Unfortunately, there are very few photographs of the interior of the Book Depository building, and, and of those, hardly any are color. Do you remember anything about the colors in the lunchroom? No, I, I don't. I, like I said, I only was up there a couple of times. I knew they had uh, uh, like a Coke machine, and I think they had a snack machine in there, and, and, and I'm not real... Uh, can't think of much anything else in there that I that I can recall at this time. But it just had a few chairs in there and tables. But but it was very uh, very small. I'm going to ask you a question that's really obscure. But you know, if you don't know, that's fine. The the soft drink machine was actually a Dr Pepper machine. Now my question is, what, did they just have Dr Pepper, or did, did it also have Cokes or Pepsi or other flavors in there? To the best of my memory, uh, there, there was a variety of drinks in there. Okay. It's an obscure question, but it, it comes up now and then, so I thought sure. I'd ask. Okay. Um, I understand that there was a caterer who would come by in the mornings with lunch. Do you remember? I'm glad you brought that up, because I was just fixing to tell you I'd forgotten something. Go. Yes. There was a uh, there was a catering truck that used to come by on the uh, morning break time, and some of the uh, people that worked in the building, not only people in the warehouse, but sometimes people from upstairs would come down and they would buy their lunch off of the catering truck. 
plus whatever they wanted if they wanted something for the break time. Okay. Do you remember the name of the catering service or who is the guy? And was it a white guy, a black guy, a woman? Uh, um, I think over the period of time I worked there, I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think there were several different people that worked for that one uh, catering uh, service. And if my memory serves me correct, I think it was uh, industrial catering service. Now, you can check that out, but I think, uh, and I think they may still be in business today. Okay. But I, I'm not real sure of the name, but it's something seemed like it was industrial. That's pretty good going back almost 39 years for something pretty pretty insignificant. I appreciate your your memory on that. Okay. Um, you drove Lee Harvey Oswald to and from Irving uh, on a few occasions before the assassination, and that was always on a Friday. Yes. And then he'd come back with you on Monday mornings. Yes, that is correct. Did he ever bring his lunch with him on those Monday mornings? He may have, and then he may not have. Uh, um, I'm not sure about during the week, but maybe a couple of times he might have brought his lunch, but uh, I'm not real sure. Had you ever? Uh, did you ever eat lunch with him? No. Uh, no. As far as he and I sitting down, say, like at some place out on the uh, the first floor there, and sit down eating lunch together, just he and I alone? No. Uh, I did eat lunch a couple of times in the break room with the guys playing cards and dominoes, and it was too noisy for me. That's why I often like to just sit out on the dock or go down in the basement and eat my lunch for the quiet time. Of the uh, of the crew that you were working with, did Oswald hang out with with any with you or any of the other guys more than anyone else? No, he really didn't. Uh, Lee um, Lee tried to fit in, and, and he tried to mix in with with the personnel that worked there in the warehouse, uh, but. No, he didn't hang with any one individual or group more than others. Uh, he, um, even though he tried very hard to fit in, uh, he didn't fit in very well with, with some of the other uh, workers. Why, why do you think that is? Well, uh, because sometimes he would uh, make a statement referring to something or, and some of the people would laugh. And uh, he asked me about that one time. He said, why do they laugh at what I say? And I said, well, I said, partially because they don't understand what you're saying. And I said, uh, they talk and describe things different than you. And I said, you talk on a little bit higher level. And I said, it's, it's very easy to make fun of someone when you don't really understand what they're saying. I said, you take the uh, you, you take the spotlight off themselves, and they put it on you. And he made the remark one time. He said, "Well, you never do that with me." And I said, "No, I don't," because I said um, I was taught better than that. And I said, "You don't make fun of someone." I said, "If they say something you don't understand," I said, "You don't make them appear to uh, be something wrong with them 
in any or, or where they said something. And one day he had he and I was talking and he said something and then a few minutes later he called me over and I had a dictionary and I was reading this dictionary and he says he said he he said, What are you doing? I said, Well I'm looking up this word. I said, use this word in a sentence and I wasn't quite sure of the meaning, the definition and I said I was trying to uh, fit it in where I could understand it better and that's when he made the uh, remark that I just said he said you never make fun of any comment I make so so I could understand Oswald sometimes would to use the phrase he would talk over the heads of some of the some of, some of the guys he was working with and they in turn would then make fun of him uh, and he didn't quite understand until you explained the facts of life to him about this. That's correct. So th this wasn't a black and white thing or a no. rich and poor thing. No. And uh, do you remember what it was that he was talking about? Well, sometimes not anything in particular. Sometimes it'd be just like you would see something, and I would see something, and he would see something, or he'd read something in the paper or had uh, seen something on television and he would be describing in his uh, own words to the best of his ability uh, what he had seen and then that would happen but uh, I think he tried very hard to uh, uh, mix in with the people and but as you said that he uh, didn't realize it, but often he talked over their head because he he had uh, whether it was uh, through uh, going to school or self-taught, um, his education was at a much higher level. Um, were you aware that he was a, a high school dropout? No, uh, not at that time. Now, I, I have learned a lot of things, and I have read a lot of things, and, and I've been told a lot of things about Lee Oswald since November the 22nd, 1963. But to answer your question, no, he never gave me the impression he was a high school dropout. He was um, aware of current events, and he was, he, he was aware of things going on in the world, apparently? Yes. Uh, he was very knowledgeable. Um, when did you uh, first learn that uh, President Kennedy was coming to town? And then the follow-up course would be, when did you first realize that he was going to come right by your building? Well, I, I think it was a day or two before, uh, just hearing people talk, they said that uh, uh, President Kennedy was going to come to Dallas. But that didn't anything didn't register on me about that because uh, presidents, they visit cities uh, in America and cities um, in other countries. That's, that's, that's a common, pretty common thing for them. For one reason or another, they go there for business. Uh, where it's political or whether they're campaigning or, um, or they're trying to uh, be a negotiator um, as a uh, in a peace type uh, situation or whatever uh, a president of the United States traveling uh, uh, 
to different points in the world is is very common. So uh, him coming to Dallas, no, that that didn't um, uh, mean anything particular to me. Uh, How about some of your coworkers? Was it well? The morning, Friday, November the twenty-second. Uh, it was, I think, around break time. Uh, they found out uh, that um, that the presidential parade was going to be coming by the Texas School Book Depository at Houston and Elm Street, and uh, a lot of people were very excited about that. They says, "Gosh, says we got a chance to see the president," and. As they were talking, then they realized that he may come by before lunch break or after lunch break, and and there's a possibility we wouldn't get a chance to see the parade. So someone uh, had gone to Mr. Shelley and asked, "Are we going to get to uh, see the presidential parade?" and there was a, yeah, I guess he checked with Mr. Uh, Truly, and Mr. Truly checked with his um, uh, bosses who were up in, on the second floor, and and they uh, come back with a reply that, yes, we would stop and everyone could see the presidential parade. And um, so we continued to work, and then at a certain time we stopped, and uh, everyone got ready to watch the, the parade. The day before, Thursday the 21st, Lee Harvey Oswald came to you and asked you what? He asked me, I was, I was over in the area where we would bring the freight shipments down that would be carried out to the different freight lines. And I was filling an order and, and putting it together. And he asked me, he says, uh, he said, can I ride home with you this afternoon? And not thinking about what day it was, I said, sure. And then a few minutes later, I don't know where it was due to, I looked at the date on the invoice I was filling, and I said, day's not Thursday. So when I saw him, I said, hey, I said, day's not Friday, day's Thursday. He said, I know that. He said, but he said, I need to go out to Irving. And uh, he said that Marina had made him uh, some curtains for his apartment, uh, he stayed over uh, an apartment in Dallas uh, during the week and would go home with me like on Friday. So he was going out to pick up uh, the curtain rods where he could uh, hang the curtains in his apartment. Marina had made some curtains for him. Mm -hmm. Were the curtains ready or was he just going to pick up the curtain rods or? Well, from what from way he explained it, they were ready and he was going to get the curtain rods to hang the curtains. So you thought, okay. Uh-huh. Um, I think from your Warren Commission testimony, you indicated that you guys would get off work at like 4.45 or so. That could be correct, you know. Okay, so you guys, did you walk together out to your car? Uh, when we, like on Friday afternoon? No, on, on Thursday afternoon, the day before. So, so I want you to talk about taking Oswald back to Irving. Okay, uh, I'm sure we did because uh, that was the only way he was going to get in the car with me to go home because it was, like I say, several hundred yards north of our building and I would 
go down from the uh, parking lot there. I would go around and go down that Continental uh, Street to, uh, to what is now known as 35. Okay. The Simmons. Um, this will be a little thing also, but just, just see if I can tweak your memory a little bit. Do you remember what he was wearing? Was he in shirt sleeves or did he have a jacket on when you went to the car? What he was actually wearing, no, I don't remember, but it was in November, so the chances are it, uh, we were wearing uh, jackets or a long sleeve shirts then, uh, according to whatever someone wanted to wear. Uh, Did he have anything with him? Was he carrying anything, or were his hands empty? Or Oh, I understand what you're saying. You, you want to know if he carried anything from the Texas School Book Depository with him that day on Thursday, home with him? And the answer is no. How certain are you? Pretty certain. Didn't have a box or a package or anything? Not that I know of. I know he didn't have a box or a package. Um, what did you guys talk about on the, on the way home that, that afternoon? You and Lee. I really don't remember, but but if we talked about anything on the commute out to Irving, it would have to be in something in reference, probably to his children. So there wasn't any talk about Kennedy coming by tomorrow. Oh no. Now I know that next day, Friday, November the twenty-second, the parade route was published in uh, I I think all the uh, uh, papers. The Dallas Morning News, and uh, at that time uh, th there was a Dallas Times Herald, which is uh, which is uh, no longer today, but uh, they were both published in the papers, I believe. Okay, so um, you and Oswald head back to Irving from the uh, depository on Thursday. You dropped him off at uh, Ruth Payne's house, um, and that's the last time you saw him until the next morning. That is correct. Um, so he then came over to your house, or did you drive over to Payne's house to pick him up? How did, how did that work? Oh, you mean on a Friday morning? On Friday morning, uh-huh. On the Friday morning, uh, Lee came down to uh, where I lived with my uh, sister. And she lived on, uh, remember this? Uh, Fifth Street. And yeah, on Fifth Street. Cross Street was... I think the number was 2439, I think. I could be wrong about the number, but I know it was on 5th Street. And they lived on, the, my sister lived on a corner. Um, I'd have to go over there uh, in that area to be specific about the house number and what the cross street was, but I, I do know where the house is. It, is, uh, is it still there? Have you been by there? I haven't been by there in several years, but the last time I was by there, um, the house was still there, and I got to go into the house. I explained to the lady uh, who I was. I told her at one time, a long, long time ago, I used to live there. And so she let me come in and look around the house. And when I got in, when you walk in off of the carport into uh, like the, uh, the living area and the kitchen combination there, 
I explained to her, I said, well, this wasn't here, this used to be here, and I walked around and explained things. And before I even got down the hallway, I told her where the bathroom was and where the bedrooms was, and, and she said, well, you remember this house very well. And, uh, and I, I thanked her for letting me come in and look around. I said, I know you didn't have to do that. But I said, I appreciate that. I said, I spent a lot of time at this house at one time when I was a very young boy, and I said, uh, it means a lot to me, this house. Um, but as far as uh, on Friday, November the 22nd, 1963, uh, Lee uh, came down to the house, and uh, the first uh, time I noticed that he was already down to the house was that uh, he was looking in one of the windows into the... Uh, uh, kitchen area and my sister said who's that and I said oh that's Lee and uh, so he came around to the door like coming to the house and I said well I'm just finishing up my breakfast I said I'm, uh, and my sister was finishing my lunch I said uh, I'll be out in just a few minutes I'm going to go brush my teeth and I'll be on out and I did and when I got out to the car, uh, he was standing by the car, and we got in the car. And as I got in the car, I got glanced over my shoulder, and there was a package laying on the back seat. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, he said, that's the curtain rods I told you about. I said, oh, okay. Um, at that time of the morning, which I guess would be like 7.15, 7 um, because... Because I know in your testimony you made it clear that you uh, had to be at work by 8. Yes. So. Was it raining? Oh. That morning, well as my memory, going back, uh, it was kind of an overclass, uh, overcast day. And it was a little mist, a little fine, uh, real pinpoint type mist in the air. Um. So you get in the car, and Oswald gets in the front seat with you? Right? Yes. And off you go, taking the same route that you normally did, uh -huh. up to Story Road down to what is now called Airport Freeway, and then into Stemmons, and then to Continental, and then into the parking lot. What was that ride like, and what, what kind of things did Oswald talk about, if anything? Well, uh, that morning on the way to work, he was like no other. Uh, I mean, he was uh, just the same as he was any other time that he rode in with me on uh, uh, Monday morning. But today, but this particular day, it was Friday. Um, he's quiet. Uh, he's just watching the traffic. And and, uh, and I mentioned, uh, I said, well, I said, uh, just kind of overcast and misty today. But later on, the uh, the mist stopped and the uh, and the uh, sun broke through the clouds and it came out and it was a, a real pretty sunshiny day. That happened though after you'd already gotten to the monastery. Yes. yes. On the way in, um, did, uh, uh, let me back up a little bit. On these rides back and forth, did uh, you have a radio in your car? We did. Did you listen to the radio? Uh, yes, sometimes. Yeah. The reason I asked, was there, was there talk about President Kennedy coming to Texas on the radio that morning? 
That I don't remember because most of the time it was mainly music that well, I listened to. I didn't listen too much. I wasn't too much into listening to the news like I am today. I listen to the news a lot more than uh, I do music. But at certain times of the day, I'm, if I'm riding along, I, I know where the dials to go to hear the most updated news, and I'll do that. Well, what I'm getting at is I'm, I'm trying to find out uh, if there was anything about Oswald's demeanor that was different in any way from any of the other times you guys had gone back and forth. Uh, no, I've been asked that. I'm sure and, you and, have. And, and I, can't, I can't put my finger on any one thing because he, he was just, he, he was very quiet and um, he very seldom ever initiated a, a statement. Usually he would answer me something I had asked him. But um, no, uh, there was no mention of the president coming to Dallas that day or anything. So as best you can remember, and I know you've thought about this many times over the years, as, as best you can recall, this was a day like any other day as far as Lee Harvey Oswald was concerned, at least as best you can tell. Yes. It, it, was, a, it was just like any other day. If you normally you get to go to work. I knew it was Friday, and unless we was working overtime, and sometimes we did work on Saturdays and heavy shipping season, but most of the time you knew that you, when you got off that afternoon, you would be off until Monday morning. And it's no different today as it was back in 1963. A lot of people look uh, forward to Fridays. Um, Whether anything was different about the way he acted or anything, no, I, I can't remember that at all. Because, um, except to answer that he was just, he appeared to be himself. But the thing that I know now, that I didn't know at that time, was that uh, on that day a young boy would uh, leave and go to work. But he would would return as a man. When you arrived and you parked, you've told this part of the story many times, that you sat there in the car and was revving, you were revving up the engine a bit to get the battery charged and all, and, and Oswald got, got out of the car. He must have reached into the back seat at some point and grabbed his package and off he went toward the depository and you saw him walking ahead of you. Was that different than his ordinary routine? Uh, we did walk together other occasions, but on that particular morning, uh, we got there a little bit earlier, and uh, the gauge on my uh, vehicle I was driving that time, uh, I said, well, I'm just going to sit here for a few minutes and... Uh, I reeled my engine up just a little bit and the needle and actually removed and charged, charged my battery because uh, on this car that I was driving at the time being, uh, sometimes when I would get down there, if we worked late, sometimes I'd get down there, it wouldn't start. I'd have to, I would have to uh, have a jump and sometimes I would give a jump to someone else. Uh, Billy Lovelady and I, uh, we often helped one another. By the way, Billy Lovelady was... Uh, employee there at the Texas School Book Depository. He he did the uh, receiving and shipping. 
And he looked kind of like Oswald, didn't he? Uh, well, the only thing they have in common is they both have a high forehead. If you would put uh, Lee Oswald beside Billy Lovelady, you would have a Mutt and Jeff team. One was uh, slender, and, and the other, Billy Lovelady, was short and stocky. And their personalities were nothing alike. It was totally the opposite. Uh, Billy Lovelady was a, um, he was a big kidder. Uh, real happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, Lee was very quiet and um, observant. Lee was about 5'9 or so. How tall was uh, Billy? I don't actually know how tall he was, but I would probably say Billy was probably maybe in the 5'2", five, 5'3 five, area. And I'm not sure about whether that's correct or not, but I, maybe 5'4 at the most, probably. I talked with Billy on the phone in 1980, I believe it was, maybe 79, not too long before he died. Yes. And uh, he told me a story. Billy told me that, yes, he was aware that there was a certain facial similarity between he and Oswald. And he said, uh, Gary, some of the guys in our crew purposely called Lee Billy, and they called me Lee. And he said, I thought it was funny as hell, but Oswald didn't like it at all. It really got him hacked off. Does that ring a bell for you at all? The other thing I can remember about, I think I remember something similar to that, in, and the reason I can barely remember just a little bit, because I wasn't present when a lot was going on, I happened to come over to the area where uh, Billy was... Uh, uh, right in his uh, freight bill of ladings and something was said and people was laughing and I turned around and said well what are they talking about but uh, that could very well be true but he was a short guy you say 5'2", yes. 5'3"? yes so these conspiracy theories that came up later that uh, Lee Oswald was actually standing on the steps with you and the other guys. It's just silly, isn't it? Yes, because uh, you can't see me, but Billy, uh, there's one uh, a photo that has often been uh, discussed. It shows uh, Billy Lovelady standing on the uh, steps of the school book to try store. Well, back in the shadow, where you can't see me, I was standing back there. You, but, and I know that's Billy. And I've been asked about that photo. Do I know that individual? And I said, yes. Uh, matter of fact, I think the Warren Commission asked me about that, that photo. And I told them, I said, yes. That's Billy Lovelady. And they said, are you sure? I said, yes. And they said, oh, could it be Lee Oswald? I said, no way. Some of the people who ask you this, I assume, are uh, the, the Kennedy assassination researchers. When you tell them that, yes, that's uh, Billy, what is their reaction? Oh, they listen to what I have to say. Uh, 
do they try and talk you out of it or are they disappointed? No. Uh, to me, there's no comparison. You could put a picture of uh, Lee Oswald, which there is pictures of him after he was arrested uh, and was in the Dallas Police Department. You can take that photo or any other photo of him and put it up beside a picture of Billy Lovelady and you can quickly see you're talking about two individuals. We've jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, let's go back uh, to just before the assassination. Um, you talked about how um, Mr. Shelley, Mr. Truly said it would be okay to uh, maybe adjust your schedule a little bit so everybody could see the president if they wanted to. Um, when was the last time you saw Lee that morning? It was uh, sometime uh, shortly before uh, we was going to break for uh, lunch and a parade. Uh, exactly, you know, how many minutes or I, I can't be specific, but it was, it was a short time. It wasn't too long. And did he say anything about wanting to see Kennedy or... Uh, did he say anything or did you just see him? Uh, he never mentioned anything about, uh, to me about, you know, the president. And actually, uh, after the people that uh, worked in the area I worked in, in the warehouse, there, uh, uh, filling or packing the orders or whatever, when they found out that we were going to get to stop and uh, see the parade, uh, there was often a lot of chatter and a lot of people was excited about that. Um, so several of, of your co-workers expressed interest in seeing Kennedy? Oh, do you, yes. Do you remember which ones? Uh, I remember uh, when I was over getting some orders out, out of the box, uh, Lee Jarman told me, he says, uh, he says, we're going to get to stop and see the parade. And I said, well, that's nice. I said, that'd be great. Uh, and different, different employees had different reactions, but everybody was excited because, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if, if any of them had ever had the occasion to see American president themselves. Uh, this would be my first. So you and some of the others decided that, that I mean, you were all going to go out and see the president, whether together or separately or whatever. Right. So where did you go and how did you wind up where you were? You, you told us a little bit about it already. Okay. Uh, I was standing at the top of the uh, steps, the entrance to the Texas School Book Depository. I was standing in the shadow because I was taller so uh, in order not to keep someone that was shorter than I from being able to see, I thought it would be a good idea that I stand in the back. And the shorter people could stand on the steps and, it, and everyone could see. And that worked out uh, really well because um, I had seen pictures of the president and Jackie and like Life magazine and so forth like that. And, and uh, when they... Uh, turned uh, from uh, Houston Street on to uh, Elm there and started down to the underpasses there, I, I remember remarking to myself, I said, well, they look just like they do in the pictures.
And in my own way, I had my own photography. Had you thought about bringing a camera? Uh, no, uh, because as I said earlier, I didn't even know. I did, I I wasn't aware that the parade was going to be coming by the uh, school book depository, and at that time, I didn't even own a camera. So it wasn't done. Any, it wasn't done really me any good if I had thought about it because I didn't own one. How about some of the others from the depository? Did anyone else have a camera that you know of? Um, not that I know of, but maybe maybe, maybe someone did. Uh, if it is, uh, I'm not aware of it. So you don't recall seeing anyone in the crowd immediately nearby having a camera? Well, now, there was people there to uh, watch the parade that had cameras, but uh, not anyone that I, I knew personally. Did you see any cameras on your side of the street, you know, the depository side? Um, standing there on, on the steps, you, you could see people walk around trying to get the best position uh, for the view, and there may have been some people on that side of the street that had cameras, but as I said earlier, not anyone I knew personally, so therefore I wouldn't really say, well, well there's Miss Smith or, or there's Joey or something with a camera. Because um, I was just really excited to be able to, to actually get to watch the parade. Um, you were standing uh, on the top step then. Yes. Or actually the landing part, I, I would I yes. guess. Okay. Was, was there anyone back there with you? Uh, yes. There was a lady that worked up in one of the offices. And I do not remember her, her name. Was she off to your right or off to left. your left? To your left. Um, was there anyone with a camera up where you were? Not that I know of. Now, they could have. I mean, maybe I just didn't, you know, wasn't aware of it or, or didn't notice it. But not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, so you and... Uh, and uh, Billy Lovelady, and uh, who else was out in front there with you? Uh, Bill Shelley. Bill Shelley. Um, and there were some uh, women that had worked in the offices there. Several of them was there. None of the other order fillers were there with you? No. How long were you out there before Kennedy came by? Uh, not very long. Five minutes or... Uh, I really can't be specific, but I know it was a short time. Did you remember, um, I, want, I want you to be careful here that you're not recalling something that you've read about later on. Um, did something happen in the plaza shortly before Kennedy came by that was out of the ordinary? Uh, the only thing I can remember uh, that I thought was a little unusual uh, and maybe it wasn't, uh, but it, it was a little unusual to me, but then I just uh, thought that the uh, the motorcycle policemen that were escorting the uh, president's uh, car, there was uh, several of them, and they were, because they were getting pretty close to getting onto the freeway, and uh, I don't know how long, they, 
how many blocks they had gone in this parade. Uh, but they were they were kind of climbing around, cutting their motorcycles on and off, and make them backfire and so and so forth. And uh, uh, I thought that was a little unusual, but then uh, now that I've had time to think about it, but at the time being, uh, it didn't it didn't seem anything unusual to me. So this is before the shooting. Yes. And there are police motorcycles in the area yes. that, that may or may not have been part of the motorcade. And you heard them backfiring. Yes. Now the motorcycles that I heard uh, that I heard backfiring were motorcycle policemen. They weren't any other. Say like someone, a spectator on a motorcycle. Okay. No, it wasn't that. Uh, the only uh, uh, motorcycles that were actually running, and they were cutting them off and cutting them back on and making them backfire, was uh, the uh, a policeman. And, and so they were doing this on purpose. Why, why do you think they were doing that? I have no idea. Okay. Um, do you remember a uh, an ambulance in Dealey Plaza before the motorcade came by? No. Have you heard about that since then? That an ambulance came by to pick up a guy? Uh, you hear a lot of things, but I, I haven't heard anything about that. Okay. Um, that's that's an event where if you had been there, if you had seen it, you probably would have remembered it. Um, the ambulance was gone a good five minutes before Kennedy came by. So so that mean, that tells me that you probably didn't get out on the steps until about 12.25, and Kennedy came by at 12.30. So, okay. Um, at some point, you must have become aware that the president's getting pretty close. I mean, I would assume you heard that the crowd, that the crowd was uh, cheering. I assume you could have heard some of that noise. Uh, and then finally, the motorcade turned on Houston Street and started coming up the street towards you. Take it from there. What can? What do you remember? And what did you see? What did you hear? Uh, the only thing I remember is uh, seeing that the uh, the car in which the president and his wife and uh, John Connolly and and um, that'd be Nellie was riding. Um, I was just so uh, captioned by that because I'd never gotten that close to American president that I could actually see, and I was uh, observing all the things right around the the car in which he was riding. Um, And this is about all, uh, I, I was just uh, watching, the, the people seemed to be very happy and very responsive uh, before he got there and then his, um, all the waving and so forth that uh, politicians do and, uh, and people trying to get noticed. Um, I guess I was just uh, caught up in the moment at that time and I was, I was so excited to be able to, to witness that. So the car is coming up Houston Street and it makes a left-hand turn right in front of the book depository doorway. So as you're looking straight out, the car is completing the turn. How long after the, the car completed the turn and started moving away from you did the first shot happen? It wasn't, it wasn't very long. Yeah, there, was a, there was a shot and as I said earlier, uh, from 
listening to the motorcycles that was leading the uh, uh, president's car uh, that had been backfiring. At first, I thought it was a backfire from a motorcycle. So it sounded pretty much like the backfires. Yes. But then, shortly after, there was two more. And by that time, there was really chaos. There was people running and everything. And you knew something wasn't right. Uh, from where I was sitting, you couldn't see because there was people standing out on the curb uh, there uh, to the street that was going down to the uh, underpass. So therefore, I couldn't actually see what was going on in the president's car. Kennedy had actually dropped below. Yes. Okay. And I couldn't see. Uh, my best shot of uh, him, or my best view, let's rephrase that. My best view of he and Jackie and, and uh, Governor Connolly was when they made the turn. Because there was no one in front of us, and you, you had a, a very clear view. But after they passed and dropped out of sight, uh, I couldn't see what was going on. All, all I, but after I uh, discovered that it was actually someone shooting, there was uh, people running and falling down. And what was your first realization that those were shots? Did someone say that, or did you figure it out yourself? Or Well, uh, by the time the, uh, the second and third shot was fired, I realized that it wasn't motorcycle backfire because it has a different sound to me. And I realized someone was fired and people was, as I said, in that whole area there was running and falling down. You really couldn't tell at that time actually what was going on if you were standing in the position I, I was standing. And did you have any idea where the shooting was coming from? Uh, the, the sound to me at that time, it sounded like it was coming, uh, coming from above. And so in other words, in the building? Well, I was standing on the steps. It was somewhere, uh, it sounded like it was coming from a, a building very, above the one in which I was standing on the steps. Because if you go to that intersection there at, at uh, Houston and Elm, there's buildings of a certain height and, every, and on three corners. And uh, I, don't, I do not know if uh, the same effect of buildings like that present kind of like an echo uh, effect. Uh, the, the only thing I can, I can say was that uh, I realized that it, that it was gunfire, but to be specific of which building it was coming from, other than it sounded like it come from above where I was standing, I, I, I can't I can't be more specific than that. And and, and it sounded like it come from above of where we was we were standing. And you heard three shots. Yes. Were they evenly spaced, or were some closer than the others? Or I heard three shots. There was one, and then there was. Uh, the other two was was much closer in succession. How many seconds do you think the shooting took altogether? I don't know exact, but probably I would probably say all 
and this is probably, I don't know for a fact, I'd probably say all three shots were, were taken within 15 seconds. Uh, and the last two were closer together than the first two? Yes. The, there, there was a, the first one, and then the second and third one was, was, was just almost just back to back. It was very fast. Um, how much time then between the last two shots? I'd probably say maybe five seconds. If it's that if it's that long. Um, since then, of course, I'm I'm sure you've heard that some people heard a different number of shots. Yes. Could there have been more than three? Or could there have been fewer than three? Not fewer than three. Now, if someone, you know, like I said, if you go to that area, and, and I'm not uh, well-versed enough to debate something on a echo or acoustics-type fact, but uh, if two weapons fire at the same time, which would be very hard to do, but anything's possible, I guess. Uh, maybe there could have been more than three, but I know three. I heard three. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a way to, to figure out from where you were, where, uh, when the shooting actually started. Um, when you stand in the doorway of the old depository building today and you look straight out directly ahead is that street light or the, the, the uh, traffic light yes and had the car gone very far where was the car in relation to that traffic light when the first shot was fired can you can you can you explain it that way well it would be hard to pinpoint that because not knowing the speed of the car uh, but it wasn't very far after it dropped out of my sight. Well, okay, maybe that's the way to do it then. The first shot, when the first shot was fired, you could not see the car at all at that point? No. I couldn't see the car. Okay. Because the intersection there is kind of flat, and then it starts to go downhill. It drops off rather quickly. Yeah, so it was after the car dropped down when the first shot was fired. Um, like I said, the car was out of out of my my view when the first shot was fired. Okay. And you'd asked me earlier about how long did I think the 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 three shots that I heard uh, had taken, and I told you 15 seconds. If you would take and fire a shot, say like for instance uh, on the first second. And then the second shot might not have been somewhere to like the eight to ten seconds, and then the the third one on the say like uh, uh, somewhere between the ten and fifteen. Okay. Um, what did you do next? Well, after the first shot. And then when the second and third, I walked down on the steps 
uh, to where Billy was originally standing, because uh, my memory serves me correctly, uh, Billy and uh, Mr. Shelley had gone down the street that ran right in front of the depository there. They had walked down there, and um, the lady I was standing by, we were, we just stayed right there on the steps, and. Uh, and then people were, somebody come running by and said they'd shot the president. Well, by that time, it was really, uh, really chaos. And I thought the best thing to do was just stay still and stay where somebody can see you. Because at that time, uh, there was a policeman uh, all around and they had their weapons drawn. And I thought it'd be best just to stay still. How long did you stay? on the steps? Oh, a few minutes and I may have walked a short way down that street, you know, in front of the uh, uh, Texas School Book Depository. I think it's usually referred to as the Elm Street Extension. Okay. Well, I may have walked a short distance down there and then I, then I thought maybe it's best uh, that I just turn around and go back to where I, where I was. Um. Okay, let me make sure I understand. You stayed, to the best of your memory, you stayed on the steps for two, three, maybe four minutes, something like uh -huh. that. At some point, though, the, you, you walked part way down that uh, street. Extension street. Okay. Yeah, Elm Extension. And then you came back up the steps and... And we stood okay. around there and we talked for a little while and, and uh, then we went back inside the building. When you say we talked, I mean, you're talking about Bill Shelley? Uh, Is he still there or... Bill Shelley and Billy were, they they had gone further than I had gone on the street. And there were so many people running and everything, I lost them. I didn't know where they were. Uh, I would probably have gone further if I, did, if I could have seen Billy and uh, Bill Shelley, but not being able to uh, pick them out of the crowd. I, I just uh, said, well, I was going back to the steps. And I did that, and I stayed there you know, a few minutes, um, and the lady I was standing by, I told her, I, she asked me, and I said, well, I, I don't know any more than I did before I went down there. And I said, uh, and so we went back into the building, and uh, people that worked there began to come back in because there was, there was women that worked there in the, uh, for the publisher. They were crying and everything about, you know, they shot the president and so forth. And so I realized that I hadn't eaten my lunch. Now, I know this may sound strange, but I, but I was hungry. And being a young boy, you, you're usually hungry. So I uh, went back into the building, and I had gone down to the basement. And I sat down, and I was eating my lunch. And there were several uh, plainclothes uh, uh, detectives, and uh, the, I remember... Uh, a uh, policeman, uh, a uniformed policeman. Uh, he came by and he asked me how long I'd been there and and had I seen anybody. And I says, No, I hadn't seen anybody unusual down here. I said I heard somebody over. Uh, it was two ways you could go down into the basement. It was uh, right there by a, a belt that went up to the uh, meter where uh, uh, Junior. I put the postage on the packages, and then over uh, right by um, 
where Billy Loveway would write up the freight bill of ladings, there was a uh, uh, entrance and you could go down into the basement that way. It's a stairway. Um, let's go back to the, uh, to the steps and the doorway of the depository. Uh, first of all, let me ask you, do you remember what kind of clothing you wore that day? What color? What kind of shirt did you have on? I'm asking because I'd like to be able to, to, to find you in some of these early pictures of the depository. Uh, probably had blue jeans and boots on, western boots. Uh, the shirt, I don't too much remember, but I, I know that day I had a jacket on. When you were outside? Oh, yes, because it, it was cool that day. Okay. I, had a, I had a jacket on, and uh, matter of fact, the jacket that I was wearing that day was uh, my FFA jacket. And what color was that? It was a uh, dark blue, but on the back, I think it was yellow riding of uh, FFA. FFA stands for? Future Farmers of America. And then it had the city from which I, I, I came. Okay. Um, did you see Lee Oswald at this time, after the assassination? Uh, no. Have you heard subsequently how he left the building? Well, there's been a lot of uh, rumors uh, when... Well, we were when we were outside the building before we'd gone in. Uh, I remember seeing a lead come from the uh, the uh, dock area and walk up the uh, street beside the Texas School Book Depository building and. There were so many things going on, and, and I saw him as he walked up, and he went across um, Houston Street. And I thought he may have been going to get him a sandwich or something, so I really didn't think anything about it. And I lost him in the crowd, and I don't know what happened from there. How long after the assassination do you think this was? Oh, probably... Five to ten minutes, probably. So, you remember seeing him briefly coming down Houston Street along the side of the building? Yes. So, that told you that he must have gone out the back door by the loading yes, dock? Yes, by the loading dock. That's, that's exactly right. And did you see him cross Houston Street? Uh, uh, he crossed Houston Street and then started across Elm Street. And I turned because someone said something to me, and I turned to answer them. And then when I turned back and looked in the direction, he was gone. Could he have come out the front door of the depository? No. No. So how far away from him do you think you were when you saw him? The closest I... Uh, got to him when he, he was walking up 
the uh, is alongside the Texas School Book Depository, coming uh, from the uh, dock area, was probably probably ten, twelve feet. Do you remember anything about him? Did he look? No, he didn't look any different or act any different than he did. There were so many people and so much chaos and everything all around but then that uh, I thought maybe he was just going somewhere to get him a sandwich. And how was he dressed? Do you remember? Was he in his t-shirt or did he have his shirt on? Or uh, He had his jacket on. His jacket. He had his jacket on that day. Um... group here. Um, so at some point you finally went, you went back into the building and then went downstairs into the basement to, to finish, to eat your lunch. Yes. Uh, you were down in the basement when some investigators, police or whatever, came in. Yes. You were all by yourself down there? Yes, I was all by myself and they asked me had I seen anyone come down into the basement where I was there or did I see anyone go up the stairway there by the uh, belt, and I said, I told him, I said, no, sir, and uh, and I told him, I did hear somebody over on the stairway, but I never could see what, see anybody, I heard somebody over there, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't see anybody, so, it, so, I don't know, but maybe it was just uh, one of the investigators or, or policemen, you know, in the searching of the building. I had a question there and it, it, it went away. Oh, um, had you seen anyone in the building that day that you didn't recognize? No. No strange faces? No strange faces. Um, at some point then, you must have thought, what am I going to do for the rest of the day? Am I supposed to stay here and work or, or are we dismissed? What do we do? So, what did you do? All right, after I ate my lunch, uh, I uh, went back upstairs, and by that time on the first floor there, people were milling around, people that worked in the building there, and were talking and everything, and uh, Mr. Shelley got us together, he and Mr. Truly, and we had a roll call. And where did this take place? Outside Mr. Shelley's office. And his right office? there between Mr. Shelley, Mr. Shelley's office was right next to uh, Mr. Truly's. If you came in off, if you uh, would have uh, uh, entered the Texas School Book Depository building uh, by the steps on which I was standing watching the uh, parade, uh, when you when you come into the building there, uh, to your right would be an elevator going up to the uh, uh, offices, publisher's offices. And, and if you would have come straight uh, through the double doors there, then you would be, and right to your right was Mr. Uh, uh, Truly's office. And there was a uh, uh, counter there that uh, a lot of time uh, teachers would come and uh, for a wheel call and pick up a textbook. And we had the wheel calls laying right there. Because sometimes Mr. Shelley would say, here, I, I will call up. They'll be about to pick this up shortly. And I'd go and pull it, and I'd bring it back up there, and then actually he'd check it before letting the teachers have it. Uh, 
Um, so uh, Mr. Truly's office there was first, and then right next to his uh, was Mr. Shelley's. And in that area right there is where we, uh, where we all uh, 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 grouped together there, and we had a roll call. You and the other other guys who were order fillers in that. Yes. Okay. Everyone that worked in the warehouse there, uh, either where they were, regardless of whether they was uh, order filler or a packer or, or what their function was. Now the people up in the that worked up in the publisher's office, I'm sure they had their own roll call, but the the warehouse personnel had theirs right at that location I, I stated earlier there, uh, outside of Mr. Shelley's and Mr. Truly's office. Okay, and Truly and Shelley are both there? Yes. Okay. And do they actually read off names, or do they just ask you guys, anybody missing? No, they, they read names off, and you had to answer. Okay, and who was missing? Uh, the only person missing was Lee Oswald. Okay, let's go back to the roll call. Um, Oswald was unaccounted for. Yes. What did all you guys think about that? Well, at, at first, I didn't think anything about it because I thought he might have, as I said earlier, he might have walked over because in some of the buildings around there, uh, there was places that you could get sandwiches. And I thought he may have walked over there and, and due to what had happened earlier, and uh, I thought maybe he was, uh, had got tied up over getting him a sandwich or something and that uh, he would probably be back shortly. Because nothing was made of it at first when he wasn't there. Um, okay, so then what happened? Were you guys told to just go home for the day, or? Well, after we had the roll call and we stayed there for a short time, I don't know exactly how many minutes it was, but when they realized that uh, Lee wasn't coming back, uh, uh, Mr. Truly and Mr. Shelley got the okay from uh, management upstairs off the second floor that uh, due to what had happened that day that we were just going to shut down and call it a day. And that's what we did. During the roll call, you mentioned that Truly was there. Yes. Do you remember him saying anything about having seen Oswald? I don't remember anything, but but I think I have heard or read somewhere where where that uh, Mr. Truly was with someone searching the building, and I think they had uh, uh, they had seen uh, Lee in the lunchroom. That event happened, and that event happened within a minute or two of the assassination. So the roll call took place when? How long afterwards did that happen? Uh, roll call was probably probably somewhere I'd probably say 30, 45 minutes after that. Okay. So, well, this but, is it. This but I'm not sure now about exactly how long the roll call was afterwards. Uh, from my memory, I'd probably say it was probably 30 to 45 minutes after the assassination that we actually had the uh, roll call. So in this 30 to 45 minute period, you were just hanging out, wondering what to do and wondering what was going on. Yes. Um, after the roll call then, the decision was made to 
call it a day. Yes. Was that before or after you had learned that President Kennedy had died? That was before because when I had left and was on my way home, that's when I learned that uh, he was pronounced uh, dead out at the hospital. And, uh, and by that time, the uh, news channels were, everybody was trying to report what had happened uh, there that day. Okay, now this was a Friday. Normally you would take Oswald with you on Friday. Yes. But not this day. What happened? Did you expect to be taking him home that afternoon? No. He had told me earlier when I asked him why he was going out on Thursday rather than Friday, to, and that's when he told me to get the curtain rods to hang the curtains for his apartment. Uh, he told me he wouldn't be going home with me that day. And was, did this strike you as being unusual? No, not the time being. Because when I said nothing unusual, because uh, our conversations were mainly uh, about work while we were working, and he never had um, uh, given me the impression that uh, he had uh, uh, lied to me. So therefore, it was uh, I didn't have any reason to uh, to think something was unusual. Okay, you're in your car. You hear on the radio that President Kennedy has been pronounced dead. Yes. You're on your way back home to Irving. Yes. Um, when you got home, who was there? Your, your sister, was she there with the kids? or? Well, uh, I didn't go directly home. Okay. Uh, what I had... What I did was that uh, I stopped by the hospital where my stepfather, uh, he and my mother were up visiting my sister and her husband and children, and uh, he had had a, he had had I think a heart attack. Uh, I know he was he uh, he had several heart attacks before he passed away. Uh, but uh, he was in there, and they were uh, they were treating him, I think, for uh, for heart failure. When had he go when had he gone into the hospital? Uh, he had gone in to the hospital, uh, I think, a day or two before Friday, or he'd been there several days. And so I thought I'd just stop by and check on him and, and see how he was doing. And then I could tell my mother, because uh, uh, when I got home, uh, how he was doing. And which hospital was he in? He was in the uh, hospital. Um, it's not a hospital anymore. It, but this at this time, it was a hospital located at uh, Irving Boulevard and uh, Pioneer. Pioneer, so that was in Dallas or in Irving? In Irving. In Irving, okay. And how much, how long, how much time did you spend there at the hospital before you went home? Well, I had only been there a short time, and by the way, I didn't go home directly. Go home after I left there. Uh, I was there a short time, and I and the nurse uh, came into the room because. A nurse earlier had asked me, she was, uh, they were giving him uh, 
uh, I don't know whether it was glucose or whatever they was giving him, she asked me to count the drops per minute to check her. And I was doing that because she was going to be back in a minute. And another nurse came in, not the one that asked me to check the drops per minute that he was getting on the medication that they were giving him, but uh, she said, you have, a, you have a phone call. And I said, well, just patch it to the room and, and I'll get it. I thought it might have been my mother or somebody calling to check on my, my stepfather. And she said, well, she says, we can't do that. She'll have to come out here to the, the nurse's station and take the call. Well, I opened the door and proceeded to the nurse's station. And at that time, I was met uh, suddenly by two detectives uh, from uh, the Dallas Police Department. They were Detective Rhodes and Detective Stovall. And they uh, proceeded to uh, frisk me, frisk me, and check me. And I was uh, totally surprised because I couldn't understand why this was being done to me. Uh, and uh, after. Uh, uh, Catch, uh, catching me by surprise and uh, they told me that they were taking me downtown Dallas and we they were parked out close to my car and they had already been searching in my car because I remember looking in the back seat the back seat had been pulled out and I asked him I said uh, uh, what have you been doing in my car and they said well we've been searching your car had they not indicated to you what their interest was in talking with you how they uh, they said it was in reference to the uh, the uh, death of John F. Kennedy, and I uh, and then after I being in their custody, I, I learned more. But I couldn't. I, I will never understand why they treated me the way they did. But uh, it wasn't long that they found out that that I didn't know anything and. Detective Rose and Detective uh, Stovall, they became two of my best friends. Okay, let's, do you have any idea at what time, what point in time this happened? Uh, oh, at the time that they arrested me? Yeah, well, yeah. when you when you first uh, met these guys. Uh, I'd probably say, probably somewhere, probably between one thirty and two o'clock in the afternoon. Now I don't know what time they showed that they actually, you know, picked me up or arrested me, but I just I'd probably say it's probably um one thirty somewhere between one thirty and two o'clock. Okay, let me see if I can jog your memory a little bit here. Um President Kennedy was pronounced dead at one o'clock. Okay. But it wasn't announced until about 1.30. Okay, and I was on my way out to the hospital because I heard you on the radio. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you probably would have gotten to the hospital about no later than 2 o'clock, I would think. Maybe, maybe 5 or 10 minutes after. So you're with your stepfather uh -huh. for some period of time. A short time, very short time. 10 minutes or a half hour? Probably, uh, probably... 
probably not more than 10 minutes at the most. 10, 15 minutes at the most. Okay, and that's when you got the call to go out to the nurse's station, and that's when Rose and Stovall appeared? Yes. Well, that would put it at about 2.30, quarter to 3 at the latest. Well, I, I, I don't know exactly all the time, but like I said, I wasn't I, I looking at the time. And uh, Well, how did, they how did they come up with your name so fast? Did, did they ever tell you that? First of all, did they, tell, did they tell you that back then, or have you subsequently learned from them? how they got your name? No, I don't know how they got my name, but I know they, they had been out to my sister's home at Irving before they come to the hospital. So they learned from, from Lenny where you were? I think I called her once I got to the hospital from the phone in the room. I think I called and told her that I was up at the hospital and I was going to stay up there for a while. And a little, I, did, I didn't know at that time that all this other was going on because uh, they had, I, I remember they did go out to the house before coming up to the hospital. Is it possible that your your memory might have distorted the times a bit? Because this seems awfully fast, and I wonder if some of these events might have taken place later in the afternoon than you're remembering. I could be wrong, but I don't think so, uh, Gary. Because. Uh, uh, because I know I left work, and I heard about the president being pronounced dead. And uh, at that time, the area wasn't as congested with traffic as it is now. The, the population is much greater now in the Dallas area than it was then. And, it, and I remember going out to the hospital there, and I wasn't there very long, 10, 15 minutes at the most till they were there. But how they got my name and how they got on to me, I, I don't know. Um, Oswald was uh, walked into the uh, police department right about 2 o'clock. So sometime after 2 is when they learned that he was a depository employee. They could only have learned about you from him, I would think, unless... Was there anyone else in the depository who knew that Oswald rode to and from work with you sometimes? Um, Billy and Mr. Shelley knew. Hmm. Well, I wonder if the police could have heard from those two. Uh, well, of course, then, see, they still have to tie in Oswald's name to all yes. this. Yes, and how, how that occurred, I, I can't answer that because I have no idea. Now, maybe uh, if you would uh, check with uh, Detective Rose and Detective Stovall because uh, they, they worked under uh, uh, Captain Will Fritz, uh, maybe they could give you a better idea about that. That I can't help you with because I, I, I don't know. And you say since then uh, you've become uh, friends with these guys? Have you seen them recently? No. Uh, when I want to clarify that, that I became friends with them. Um, not like I'd somebody I would see on a uh, weekly or day basis or something like that, but uh, after they thoroughly checked me out and, and they interrogated me for quite some time, they had gone to 
uh, Captain Will Fredson says, this kid doesn't know anything. He's clean. But Captain Will Fritz won't accept that. And uh, they told me that they, uh, uh, and they had other people in the police department, and there was other detectives beside them that cross-examined me. Uh, it was quite intense. Uh, it was just one uh, cross-examining after another. A team would work on me for a while, answer me questions, and I'd tell them what I could, and then somebody else would come in. This went on for quite some time. And they finally were convinced that, hey, I wasn't guilty of anything. Uh, I'm just a person in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, uh, they both gave me their, their cards and told me that if I ever had problems about this, be sure to give them a call. And somewhere over the years, I have I would put them put them up. I don't carry them in my, my wallet. I did for a long time because I was real uh, afraid that someone would ask me about that. And uh, uh, But uh, that is my friendship with them that afterwards they found out that uh, I wasn't involved in this and, and I could talk with them more freely. But so they took you from the hospital up in Irving all the way down to downtown Dallas. Downtown Dallas. And you were there for how long? I was there. It was after midnight before I got to come home. Really? I was there quite some time. Uh, they they said that at one time they were letting, they were taking me home and they started out Stemmons Freeway and probably got out to some area around Inwood or Mockingbird, and then they turned around and took me back uh, again. And I went through some more uh, questioning and so forth. And by the time I got out of there, it was after midnight. Do you remember the names of some of the others who uh, questioned you? Uh, no. I have I have a third name. I have three names here. You've already named two of them. Adam Chick. That was his last name. Uh, say again, please. Adam Chick. I don't remember that name, but at that point, things were happening so fast. Here's a boy. It's only 19 years old from a small rural area, and all of a sudden you're involved in a case that you did not choose to be involved in that everyone in the world now knows about. And it was, um, it was quite, uh, it was quite a horrifying experience for me because I never had had any problem with the law at all and then all of a sudden I was uh, in the process of trying to be tied in to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. When and how did you first realize that you were connected to this event through Lee Harvey Oswald? When they arrested me. Did, well, did they tell you why? Uh, they told me they were taking me downtown for some questioning. But did, well, well, when did you first hear that Oswald, your friend Lee, was a suspect. Uh, on the way out to the hospital. 
it came over the uh, uh, the news station that I was listening to, uh, and I don't remember where it was. Uh, 820 or, or 1480, I, I don't remember what station I was listening to. Uh, probably 1480, but I'm not for sure. Uh, they said that the, the suspect that they were trying to find and was uh, their best lead uh, was Lee Oswald. Well, that really, that really threw me for a curve. I, I was going to say, you're in your car driving and you're hearing that the and police are looking for Lee Oswald. And connection with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, that was, to me, that was mind-boggling because I asked myself, how could Lee do something like that? Because the man I knew was so, was, was such a uh, perfectionist in what he did and he tried to do everything correctly. And he was so good with the children in the neighborhood. I asked myself, how could someone do something like that? Are you clear that, that the information you heard was that the police were looking for him or that he had been arrested? Well, the first thing they said, we have a, uh, we have a suspect that we're looking for in connection with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And he said his name is Lee Oswald. Well, I knew that the chances of that being somewhere, and then they say, well, he was uh, employed at the Texas School Book Depository. Well, I knew that was the same Lee that I, that I knew. And this did not make sense to you that no. Oswald could be connected? No. Oh. It, was, um, it, was, it was very hard for me to, to even begin to believe that he could do something like that. And you're certain that this happened before you arrived at the hospital? Yes. Now, what time this news thing was and what exactly what time it was, I was on the way out to, to the hospital to see my stepfather. I can't be specific, but I, I can only estimate. We were talking about the interrogation sessions uh, at the Dallas Police Department uh, the afternoon and evening of the uh, assassination and you were telling telling me about they really grilled you I mean they really questioned you do you do you remember some of the questions they asked and what they were trying to find out um, they were trying to find out if if I was involved with uh, Lee Oswald in the assassination of John F. Kennedy and I don't remember the questions exactly, but they were over and over. Uh, uh, one, uh, two officers would come in and uh, interrogate me, and they would go through the questions uh, several times. And during this, while I was doing this, they had me looking straight ahead into the wall. I couldn't left, I couldn't look left or right. I just had to answer them. Uh, and when they would. Uh, tire or, or decide that they couldn't get any more information out of me, then uh, they would leave the room and then two more uh, de detectives would come in and they would uh, uh, begin to interrogate me. And it was the same questions over and over and over. And after uh, numerous hours, they finally realized that 
I was telling him all that I actually knew. When was the first time then that you realized how you were connected um, uh, other than just taking him to work, uh, taking Oswald to work that morning? Um, that first occurred to me when I was uh, arrested out at the hospital where I was uh, visiting on that Friday afternoon with my stepfather when uh, Detective Rose and uh, Stovall uh, arrested me and took me downtown. Did they, actually, did they actually arrest you or just say, we, come with us, we want to talk to you? Or uh, They didn't put me in handcuffs because I remember I, I requested that. I said, I, I, I won't be any problems. I said, just don't handcuff me. Embarrass me in front of my, my stepfather. And, uh, and they, I did, uh, they followed that request. Uh, and I had gone downtown with them and once downtown, then the uh, interrogation or trying to find out uh, what my involvement was, uh, if any, to what extent. And that uh, went on, as I said, not to be repetitious, uh, uh, quite a few hours. Um, did they actually pull out the handcuffs, though, when they first talked to you out at the hospital? Um, I think they, I think they had thought about it. I, I knew, I, I know they have handcuffs, but I uh, requested that they not do that. And I think when they realized that I was actually quite harmless, uh, they agreed to go along with that. Um, did they ask you about Oswald and whether he had anything with him that morning? Um, I'm sure they did. Um, uh, they asked uh, quite a bit about Oswald and, and the work we did at the Texas School Book, the trial story, and and uh, and the route that we took in to work that morning and uh, so forth like that, if it was any different than others. And uh, and basically, uh, if we talked about anything, and if we did, what did we talk about? Uh, and I told them generally what I told you, the, the most thing you could, uh, comment you could get out of Lee was about his uh, child or, or a child that was unborn and the weather. And uh, he, wasn't a, he wasn't a big talker. When, uh, when did it first occur to you or when did someone first make you aware of the possibility that the rifle may have been in your car? on that trip into work that morning? Uh, that was uh, made clear to me when, uh, when they began their interrogation of me trying to find out uh, what I knew, if any, about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, uh, how, did they, how did they get into that? What made them uh, pursue that, that line of questioning? Uh, that I do not know. But I, I do remember if they asked me if, if Lee had brought anything to work with him that morning. And I told him, yes, he had brought a package. And that I asked him what it was, and he told me it was the curtain rods that he told me that he would be bringing to work the day before. And the package story is, is one of the stories that you've had to tell over and over and over again over the, over yes. the years. Uh, 
but we need to ask you to, to tell it one more time as best you recall. When you first saw Oswald uh, out at your house that morning, did you see a package at that time? Um, the first time I saw the package was when I opened the car door and as I was sitting down, I glanced over my shoulder looking at him and I, I saw out of the corner of my eye that something was laying on, on the back seat. And that's when I asked him, I said, what's that on the back seat? And he says, remember, that's the curtain rods I told you that I'd come out to get that I was taking back to uh, hang the curtains in my apartment. And that was the last that he and I had talked about it. I didn't think anything else about it. The size and shape seemed like it might be just what he said? Uh, yes. I'll only getting a glance at it and not actually looking at it real thorough. Uh, I've often described that the package was in the uh, area of, um, of uh, two feet, take an inch or two, one way, either way. And, um, and that's about the best uh, I can describe the package. It was made out of uh, a brown um, wrapping paper that you could buy anywhere and it's quite common in uh, companies that do um, uh, where they package and mail th uh, out packages to customers uh, regardless of the type of business uh, that they are out uh, and the tape and so forth that they use at the uh, at that time that we use there at the depository or even in a business today is, is, is very similar. Have you become aware of the, of the controversy involving the bag and how long the rifle was and things like that? Uh, yes. Um, I know a lot of people is, is wondered actually what I did see. And what was inside the bag, I don't know. All I know is what I was told. And as I said earlier, during um, working with Lee, Lee was always a very sincere type person to me, and he never... Uh, gave me the impression that he would uh, uh, not tell you the truth. And so therefore, when he told me there was curtain rods in there, I, I didn't have any reason to doubt him. Um, when you guys were on the, on the way into work that morning, what was his attitude like? Was it different in any way from previous trips? I'm glad you asked it. No, uh, actually, um, Lee was the same as he always was. Very quiet, uh, just observing, watching the cars, and uh, as we drove along. Uh, and the that morning when we was driving in, the the, the day was a kind of overcast, cloudy. It was kind of misty early in the morning. So there wasn't anything about what he said or did that was in any way out of the ordinary. No. He acted as, as, as perfectly normal as he had. Uh, if, if we'd had some way, could have taped some of the uh, things we talked about or these uh, reactions to our uh, short conversations, I, I think people would really be amazed at how really bland he actually was. And, uh, and, and as I said, not to be repetitious, uh, he wasn't a, a big talker. And uh, and he would answer you if you asked him something, but uh, it's usually one or two sentences. Um, let's go back to the bag to, just for a minute and, and 
you know, we're almost 39 years after after the fact, and um, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of this is still pretty clear in, in your mind, but you, know, you have to, people would, will always wonder if you've picked up something over the years and blended it into your own story. The controversy about the bag is that when the rifle is fully assembled, it's about 40 inches long. You and your sister, um, in the early days, always indicated that the bag was um, a little over two feet, 26 inches, 27 inches, somewhere in there, give or take an inch, like you said. When you take the rifle apart, it's, I don't know, 34 or 36 inches in length, something like that, quite a big difference. I mean, that's the shortest it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. um, so the conclusion is that either the rifle was not in the package or that you and your sister were mistaken. How do you, how does one resolve that? Um, or is there a way to resolve it? Well, I'm not sure if there is any way to resolve it. Uh, I can only tell you what I had actually seen. And uh, I know the things like what you discussed about the length, if you, if you should break down the Carcano rifle, uh, that the barrel is a certain length and the uh, stock is a certain length. Uh, we'll really never know actually what was in that bag. Uh, did he have a rifle in it? I don't know. Uh, and, and is there any way that uh, we could be certain after this amount of time to uh, solve that? Uh, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I, I I wish I did, and I and I wish I could I could just say right out whether it was this and this, or that was this way, but only seeing something for just a, a very small amount of time, and not knowing at that time how important the short time that you had to look at that was going to mean later on and how, how much uh, significance it would be on that. Uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people has uh, come up with their own uh, conclusion, uh, but I would like to assure you that my sister and I are telling you the truth at actually what we have uh, seen. Now, where one wants to believe that or not, that's up to them. Uh, but uh, I know what we did see, and that's all I can tell you. Where were you uh, Sunday morning? Well, Sunday morning, actually, I was in the kitchen, the same place I was on Friday morning when Lee had come down to the house. Uh, I was in the kitchen and uh, eating my breakfast, and we were watching... They, uh, they were, we were watching the news, we had the television on, and they were getting ready to uh, move uh, Lee Oswald from the place that they uh, had him at that time. And, on, and while we were watching, uh, we um, witnessed through television uh, Jack Ruby uh, shooting uh, Lee Oswald. What was the reaction, and 
What were your thoughts at the immediate your your immediate thoughts? Well, I I was kind of sad to see that because uh, knowing what I knew at that time, I was hoping that we could clear this all up. Uh, by that way, uh, Lee would be able to stand trial, and we would find out if he was actually guilty of assassinating President John F. Kennedy, or if they had the wrong person. What did you think? Did you think he did it? Well, I've been told a lot of things. I've read a lot of things. But I've never been completely convinced that Lee Oswald did that. And I know if you sit on a jury and in a courtroom and listen to a trial and if someone uh, is trying to or being prosecuted and trying to get a conviction, a death penalty, uh, I could not vote to uh, put someone to death by whatever a method, whether it be legal injection or, um, or electric chair or, or whatever uh, method the state would use, I could not do that unless I was 100% absolutely sure that that individual did that. If there was a fraction of doubt in my mind that there's a possibility that we don't have all the facts, then I could do that. And Oswald didn't fit that? Uh, no. Not to me. What was it about him that made you question? Um, the thing that I've asked myself, and I don't have a degree to substantiate this, and I'm sure there's been some people in somewhere in some time that have done something similar to this, but on a smaller scale, that have been guilty but maybe got away with it. Uh, on, but my theory or basis is, is listening to the children as they spoke of him. His kindness and usually when you find an adult that is kind with children, uh, I'm not saying they can't become uh, a murderer or, assass or assassinate someone, but I think it's uh, highly unlikely because I don't. I, I I just don't think unless they were very desperate or put into a situation that they had no choice. Uh, and I know there's there's probably people that will listen to what I have to say and and disagree with me. And, and if you disagree with me, that's that's your privilege. That's because we live in America. And, and then that's one of our rights uh, here in this country to be able to to think for ourselves. Now, sometimes what we think may not be correct, and uh, we could be correct on some things, but wrong on something else. But uh, after all this time, I, I, I'm not totally convinced. And that would have been the interesting thing if if Lee had been able to live and we could actually have gone to trial. Uh, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this now because 
uh, we would probably would have solved and got the correct answer. What do you think the correct answer really is? That's that's a very good question. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it would be very sad if if we have, after all these years, have said this man assassinated John F. Kennedy, and he didn't. Did he or did he not? I don't know. But I'm not convinced that he, 100% that he did that. And if he'd have been able to uh, go to trial, uh, I, I think he would have answered a lot of questions. And hopefully we would have come to the uh, and to the to the uh, right. Uh, I don't like to use the word assume, uh, but I we would we would have found maybe the truth.